Jesus Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. We are in our sermon series, Hebrews. We're going through the book of Hebrews, verse by verse. For those of you that are new here at Villa's Grace Church, that's precisely what we do. We like to go through entire books of the Bible. We don't like to skip over verses. We want to take things in context. Also, if you are new here at Villa's Grace Church, please take the information card that's in front of you and please fill that out. You can give it to myself after service or Pastor Jared. That's a great way for us to stay connected with you. It says connection card. That is the card to fill out. I apologize as the cards have a little bit of a glossy sheen to them, we will get new ones that don't. So it's a little bit harder to write on. My apology at the beginning up front for that, but please fill those out. That's a great way for us to communicate with you that really what we do mainly is send out a weekly email to keep you informed and kind of whet the appetite for what the sermon will be about each and every Sunday along with events and things going on here at Villa's Grace Church. At this time, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this ability and this opportunity to gather together. It's amazing that we can come together and worship freely. We can do so without fear of opposition. Allow us to take advantage of of that, Lord, and I pray that we can be a church that does, and we encourage each other to come together in fellowship as we're called to do to worship you, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. This is the inside look of an eagle's nest with little eaglets. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the inside of a nest. Actually, I don't know if I have. This may be my first look from memory. When the mother eagle builds her nest, it's interesting because she actually starts off with things that you don't think that she would ever start off with. The mother eagle will start off with thorns and thistles and rocks. Not what you would normally think a nest would have for its foundation because after all, what's going to happen? You're going to have eggs hatch and eaglets will need to have a comfy space. But the foundation, thistles, thorns, Rocks, And then the mother will take wool from animals and rodents that it kills and lay it around on top of the rocks and the thorns and the thistles and the broken twigs. So it is nice and comfy. Now the eaglets take advantage of their comfy home that they're now living in rent-free. And I say that because look at this photo. They're all looking for a handout. Kind of like some of these individuals on the street corners here in Fort Myers. The mother gives them their food. They don't have to work for their food. But then one day when they're old enough to spread their own wings and fly, the mother has to get them out of the nest, but they don't want to leave the nest. So what does the mother do? 
The mother starts taking the wool out. Piece by piece, layer by layer. And then what's underneath? Oh, yeah, that's right. The thorns, the thistles, the rocks. All of a sudden, that comfy home is no longer comfy. And these eaglets now have to spread their wings and leave. They have to do what it is that they were born to do. They have to come into adulthood I don't know if you would call it adulthood. They have to become a mature eagle. That is something that we do know for sure because that is exactly what's happening. Their mother is forcing them to mature. Brothers and sisters, this illustration of these eaglets represents our initial response to the gospel. Initially, the gospel is very comforting. It is very assuring. It gives us hope of a future. But then we are called to mature. The goal of a Christian, according to the Bible, is for us to continuously pursue maturity in Christ. So as you think of our eaglets, listen to our sermon's title. Move on toward maturity. Move on toward maturity. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews as previously stated. Chapter 6, we begin today. We're going to be covering verses 1 through 8. We cannot forget about last week. See, last week we were encouraged to not only rely on milk alone, we were also encouraged to enjoy our milk along with solid foods. We used that illustration of, yeah, we need milk because milk goes great. A nice cold glass of milk goes great with a batch of freshly baked warm chocolate chip cookies straight out of the oven. After all, the Word of God is what nourishes spiritual growth. So we need the milk of God's Word, but we also need the solid food. Today we're going to be encouraged to move on toward maturity. Maturity in Christ, that is. That's right, Jesus. The who, the how, and the why of eternal salvation. So with all that in mind, let's get into our text this morning. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. 
But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Amen. Let's go ahead and put these eight verses into this one sentence. When we look at these eight verses, we can say this in one sentence. Being introduced to Jesus takes a moment. Responding to him takes a lifetime that lasts forever. Being introduced to Jesus only takes a moment. Responding to him takes a lifetime that lasts forever. We've all heard the expression, I think, about face. We've heard people say, oh, he or she, they did an about face. In the military, it's a command that's actually given to a soldier standing at attention. And if his body is about the right side, he has to face the other direction. That's called about face. He completely changes direction, brothers and sisters. We need to do an about face. We need to, as it says in our text this morning that we just read, we need to leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. We see this right out the gate. What does it say in our verses? Therefore, let us leave. See, this is the same as saying, let us move on. However, it doesn't say, let us abandon. We're not being told to abandon the elementary doctrine of Christ. We're being told to move on from the elementary doctrine of Christ. Never abandon, but move beyond. See, the elementary doctrine of Christ is the introductory information on the gospel, that information we first heard. The who and the how Jesus is, who he is, and how it is that he did what he did. Brothers and sisters, along the lines of our main idea that states our new birth in Jesus takes a moment, moving toward gospel maturity, though, takes a lifetime. And that's something we can never forget. And this is why we've titled the sermon this morning, Move On Toward Maturity. See, gospel maturity is our destination. Gospel maturity means complete perfection. That is the destination in which we're heading. We should never cease to be learning about the gospel, though. Don't feel like, no, I I already heard about the gospel. I've already learned it once. I'm done. See, that is not the case whatsoever. We should never cease to learn about the gospel, the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is more or less the why. See, the who, the how, and the why. Jesus is who, how he did it upon the cross, was buried and resurrected. Now we move on to the why. We spend the rest of our lifetime, learning why it is he did what he did. Right here, what does it say? And this helps us with the why. It says repentance from dead works. This is the exact same as saying, let us about face. 
Let us pivot 180 degrees. Let us change direction. See, Jesus and his apostles preached very clearly from the beginning, believe and repent. Or repent and believe. That was the message of the gospel initially. Jesus and his disciples preached about faith. Change the direction in which you're heading in life. Turn away from your sin and turn back towards God. Church, not only must we know Jesus, but we must also grow in Jesus. And this is what takes a lifetime. The grow portion, the discipleship takes a lifetime. Not one of us will ever figure it out completely this side of the cross or this side of heaven, shall we say, not the cross. This side of eternity. See, when we know and grow in Jesus, we can therefore then go with Jesus. And that's how we share that our works are dead or they are dead if we're doing anything that's work-related without repentance. See, if you've yet to repent, then anything that you do is actually dead work. There is no work that's alive if you've yet to repent. And it isn't until we about face, face that our works actually become alive in Christ. But we must first repent and believe. Brothers and sisters, take a look at the end of verse 1. It says, faith toward God. There is no God without the Son. No God without the Son. Examples of dead works, because I know some of us are thinking right now, what exactly are dead works? We find examples of these dead works in verse 2, right there. First and foremost, it says washings. This has to do with the Old Testament Levitical ceremony, all outward signs of the heart being cleansed. Doing things externally to show that you are having the, or you are the proud owner of a cleansed heart. See, all of this has been replaced and it was predicted by Ezekiel. Ezekiel said the time would come, that this would come to an end. And in the New Testament, spiritual washings are by grace through faith. We don't need to do anything outwardly to show people that we are clean, that the Holy Spirit lives within us. The only thing we have to do now, we have to participate in what the New Testament teaches as a spiritual washing. And that is our faith in Christ, our receiving of God's grace and responding in faith. It also says the laying on of hands. This is speaking to the Old Testament sacrificial representations of sin. The resurrection of the dead. See, Pharisees believed in the resurrection. It wasn't like the Pharisees of the day didn't believe in the resurrection. The only thing they didn't understand is the resurrection of the dead was for those who were spiritually alive. And when you're unable to repent, and when you have a mindset that says, I can do this to please God and therefore receive salvation, 
you're actually participating in things that are spiritually dead. Today, people refer to dead or the dead as resurrected angels. I see it all the time. You get behind a car on the road and they have the angel wings and then they may have a date of an individual who died. So they're basically saying they received their wings, they're angels now. Obviously, that individual doesn't understand the resurrection of the dead. Eternal judgment is mentioned, and the Pharisees actually believed in eternal judgment. The problem was, since they hadn't repented and believed in Christ, that, that judgment was actually reserved for them. Today, people believe God needs them. That's really the fundamental problem. People believe that God actually needs us to accomplish His mission. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. We need Jesus. And that's what we forget. Verse 3, so what is this? It says, this we will do if God permits. What is it that we're going to do if God permits? What is it that we need to be doing? See, some of the things that we just mentioned, the way in which we look at resurrection, the way in which we look at eternal judgment, has everything to do with whether or not we're moving on toward maturity. See, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, if God permits, we will be able to move on toward maturity. Brothers and sisters, it's difficult simplicity. I'm being dead serious when I say that. This is difficult simplicity. It sounds easy. It may even look easy. But it's actually extremely difficult. Just like those eaglets, they're not leaving that nest without that foundation of thorns and thistles and rocks. But see, what happens when the mother exposes such to the little eaglets after they're mature enough to fly away? They're going to want to leave that nest. And that's what the Lord's doing to us. Sin should be exposed to us in such a way that we want to continuously repent and move towards God. The Christian walk is just like our eaglets. See, they were rent-free, comfortable to uncomfortable. That's why we say it's difficult simplicity because we go from comfort to uncomfortability. Uncomf Therefore, the time is now for us. No matter what stage we are in our walk with the Lord, the time is now for us to move on toward maturity. And this leaves us with this one thought. And that thought is this. Those who know Jesus are called to grow in Him through repentance. Those who know Jesus 
are called to grow in him through repentance. That's how we actually grow in Christ. See, you're not going to grow in Christ just because you memorize the Bible. Trust me. With the training that I've received, some of the men that I've sat under with their teaching, just because you know the Bible doesn't mean you're actually growing in Christ. It isn't until we put what we know from the Bible about Christ into practice into our life that we begin to grow in Him, and that begins with learning how to repent. Again, our main idea stated this, or states this this morning. Being introduced to Jesus takes a moment. Salvation takes a moment. Responding to him takes a lifetime that lasts forever. And allow that to be encouraging to you. As it's a challenge to continually respond to him appropriately through repentance, just know that it's going to last forever. He is our eternal hope. I'm sure at some point in life, some of us here have benefited from the lost and found box. I know recently we've had some situations in our home where things get left by the kids, either late or Reese, leave something somewhere, whether it's the baseball diamond or at school. And one of the first things we always ask them, it's, hey, did you check the lost and found box? Or on Monday when you go back, can you check the lost and found box? Brothers and sisters, it's unfortunate that people think, and I'm being dead serious when I say this, it's really unfortunate that there's people who actually think that there is a lost and found box for their salvation. They think that they can lose their salvation and then somehow go back to the salvation lost and found box and, and regain it and gain it back. Church, salvation, and, and please hear me out when I say this, because this is very important. Salvation is not ours to lose. There are two general views, and we see that here in verses 4 and 5. One view would say that you can lose your salvation. In fact, there's, I'm not going to name names, but there is a church I could almost throw a baseball to from this very spot and hit that would say you could lose your salvation. In fact, everything they preach from this book is preached from that perspective. It's preached from the perspective of, well, there is an internal lost and found box as it pertains to your salvation. The other school of thought says that you cannot lose your salvation, and that is where we land our plane here at Villa's Grace. We believe when we approach the Bible, we approach the Bible from the perspective that your salvation cannot be lost. We believe in what is called the perseverance of the saints. A saint is anybody who has saving faith in Jesus, which is also why we say it's not ours to lose. See, think about that. We're always believed to think that a, a saint is somebody who lived this life that was almost perfect, not quite perfect, because after all, the world will say nobody's perfect. But we don't, we don't use terminology like that. 
because we know we're sinful. But they have saint status. That is incorrect. The Bible calls anyone with saving faith in Jesus a saint. And if we know that salvation is not ours to lose, then we can be qualified as saints because salvation belongs to who? Jesus. So we believe in the perseverance of the saints here at Villa's Grace. We believe that our eternity is secured forever. So allow me to just provide a few examples from Scripture. No need to go there. I will read these for you. I want to provide just a few examples from Scripture so you know this is not my opinion. And you know that this is actually God's Word. John 10, verses 12, or 28 through 30. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That's why earlier when we said there is no Father, there is no God without the Son, because what does Jesus say? I and the Father are one. This is a personal favorite of mine. Ephesians 4.30 states this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Think about those, those two examples. One saying, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Once you've been saved... Once the Holy Trinity has a grip on your life for eternity, no one can snatch you out of his hand. The other verse is saying that we've been sealed for the day of redemption. Once something is sealed, it's sealed until it's opened. And this verse tells us that we are sealed until the day of redemption. And the day of redemption is when Jesus returns. If that doesn't give you hope, and if that doesn't give you confidence in your salvation, I don't know what will. Knowledge of the gospel, as we look at verse 4, as it says, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, that is very key. And the reason why we're bringing this up, because in verses 4 and 5, there are those who would say these verses tell us that you could lose your salvation. So when it says in the case of those who have once been enlightened, we know that this is actually talking about knowledge of the gospel. But see, knowledge of the gospel does not lead to new life. Just because you know the gospel here doesn't mean that you have new life in Jesus. Our response to the gospel is what leads us to new life. It's getting the knowledge of who Jesus is, how he did what he did, and then our response to the why is what leads to new life. The repenting and believing. Then verse 4 goes on to say, who have tasted the heavenly gift. Church, experience does not lead to acceptance. Just because you experience something doesn't mean that you accept it. There's a lot of things that we've experienced in life firsthand. Our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, our hands have touched, and we chose to reject what it is that we saw, heard, and touched. 
Finally, verse 4 ends by stating, and have shared in the Holy Spirit. See, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is at work today. His pre-salvation work and post-salvation work is currently working now. Again, verse 4 ends by stating, have shared in the Holy Spirit. It does not say, however, though, and this is very important for us, it does not state who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Those are two different things. Seeing the Holy Spirit's work in other people's lives is not the same thing as having the Holy Spirit live in your heart. There are those who have rejected the Holy Spirit from living within their own heart, but they've witnessed the Holy Spirit working in somebody else's life. Also, something that doesn't say, I think we need to think about this one too, it doesn't say who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit either, now does it? Also, we should note the word shared. See, the same, Hebrew, or the same word here in the original language, which was actually Greek, the same word for shared is also found in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14 that we went over a couple months ago. Verse 14 says, For we have come to share in Christ. This is chapter 3, so no need to be looking at a verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. See, it's not the sharing of the Holy Spirit. It's the hold our original confidence firm to the end that matters. That's what's being portrayed here. That confidence is faith, the same faith in God from verse 1 today. Verse 5 is of the same variety. Those who have knowledge, but they lack response. That's what verse 5 is calling out. Brothers and sisters, those who respond to the gospel are the ones who move on toward maturity. Is that you? Do you find yourself in life now wanting to even move on toward maturity? Do you find yourself actually moving on toward maturity? Do, do some of you still kind of feel like maybe the, the wool is, you know, Padding the foundation? What would happen in your life now if that buffer was being stripped away? Would you be spurred on to move toward maturity? So as Joe joins me, I'd like for us to recall our lost and found box again. Church, again, it is so important for us to remember it and know that our salvation is not ours to lose. Salvation belongs to Jesus. And if salvation belongs to Jesus, then we, in essence, are really just privileged partakers. That's right. We are privileged to partake in salvation because of what he has done. Not because of anything that we could ever do on our own. So there are seven things I believe that privileged partakers do about their sin and the sin of others daily in their lives. Seven simple things that I believe those who know that they are actually privileged partakers in the work of Jesus 
that they do as they want to move on toward maturity. The first would be this. We must recognize our sinfulness. Each and every day, the more sure in Christ, the more ready we will be to recognize our sin. Secondly, we need to show sorrow, true remorse for our sinfulness. Sorry, sorrow, shall I say, that we have a separation between ourselves and God. We must forsake. That is the third thing we must do. We must quit. We must about face. We must repent. Turn away from that sin and turn back towards God. The fourth thing is very important as well, and that's part of the first three. Confess. See, you can't confess your sin if you don't recognize it, if you're not sorrow for, for it, and if you don't quit your sin. We need to participate in restitution, compensation for our sin. See, that's where people get it wrong. They think that they need to do something for God. See, God doesn't need us to do anything for him other than us accepting what he has done for us. Our compensation for our sin has manifested itself in Jesus. His work upon the cross is what covers our sinfulness. When we look to him, we participate in compensation, the compensation that he provides. Now remember, we're talking about things that people do for their own sin and the sin of others, these partakers, these privileged partakers, those who want to move on toward maturity in Jesus. The sixth thing is very important, forgiveness. Far too many people reject the cross because they're unwilling to accept the forgiveness that God has shown them in their own life. They're unwilling to understand that they are forgivable. They think that their sin is bigger than the cross, that Jesus couldn't handle the sin in which they committed. But then also on the flip side, we need to be willing and able to forgive others. And finally, number seven, this is very important. Privileged partakers, those who move on toward maturity, always have the Ten Commandments in mind. And understanding that you have, in fact, broken all ten. And understanding that you know that you could break any of the ten at any moment. When that's on your mind, you understand how much it is you actually need Jesus. Brothers and sisters, those, as it says, who are crucifying once again the Son of God are the same ones who have knowledge but lack a response to the cross. They've rejected the truth by failing to comply. They're like little eaglets who like that comfy nest rent-free, but yet are refusing to spread their wings and fly. Church, it's time for some of us to move on. It's time for some of us now here to spread our wings, spread our wings in response to the gospel. Again, the good news of salvation. 
for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus. And we can summarize these verses with this one sentence by saying this then. Those who know the gospel and respond accordingly are forever saved. It's those who not only know the gospel, but also respond accordingly. Those are the ones who are forever saved. No lost and found box. No, I lost my salvation. I need to go back and retrieve it. Go back and retrieve it and keep the cycle going. No. Those who know that they are forever saved. They're sealed with the Spirit until the day of redemption. They know that no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. And when you know that those truths are true because God's Word tells us so, you can allow the cross to be much bigger than your sin. You can more easily and readily forgive others for their sin because you recognize your own, don't you? You know that Jesus was the one that compensated for your sin. You feel remorse. You've quit your sin. You've about faced. You've done all the things that you need to do. You have the Ten Commandments on mind. Again, our first point stated this. Those who know Jesus are called to grow in Him through repentance. Repentance is the key to growth. And finally, our main idea, the one sentence that just defined everything that we looked at this morning in these eight verses stated this. Being introduced to Jesus takes a moment. It only takes a moment. Responding to Him takes a lifetime that lasts forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for your work upon the cross. Thank you for giving us the confidence of eternal salvation, which allows us to focus on growing in you. Please help us be a church that encourages us to do exactly that. And we pray all that we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.